0: If we have personhood, if we're persons, beings of a rational nature, he's going to be a person. He's going to have whatever in, in, in this path of progression to an in, more infinite degree. And likewise, love. Why did he even have to create at all? And why is there something instead of nothing?
1: What proofs does Thomas Aquinas offer for the existence of God? And where do we go from there? David Basil tells us on Almost Good Catholics. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, our modest theology and apologetics podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Dignitz. Our goal is to explore topics central to our religious faith that we often take for granted or step around without really thinking about them. So, we're slowing down. We're asking people who have thought a lot about the big questions to explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. It's a dialogue, a conversation with interesting people about interesting things. And the hope is that in relationship and dialogue and back and forth, we may be able to approach the truth to increase faith, hope and love and to have a really good time doing it. Uh, The podcast as a format, allows for this. And 10 years ago, I'd never listened to a podcast. And 20 years ago, there were no smartphones. There was no YouTube. And now you and I can listen to thoughtful people we've never met talking about all kinds of things every day while driving to work or walking our dogs. So it's an exciting time for this, our global village. Distance is no obstacle. It's miraculous. It has great potential. It's a new republic of letters. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for coming and for being part of our conversation. And should you want to take it a step further, I invite you to please email almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. All one word, almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. With that, let's welcome our guest. David Basil is Chair of Theology at Archbishop Rummel High School in Metairie, Louisiana, in Greater New Orleans, beside Lake Pontchartrain. The school has been open for 60 years and has seen about 30 of its alumni become priests. He studied systematic theology with an emphasis on natural law and has a master's of theology from the Dominican school of philosophy and theology, which is part of UC Berkeley's graduate theological union. He and I have been friends for a while for seven years, for eight years. And I have looked to him for wisdom with my Catholic questions. He's Godfather to my youngest daughter. And I have the honor of being Godfather to his youngest son. And I really appreciate you being my first guest ever, David on this inaugural episode of almost good Catholics. So Whatever happens, we can at least say this has been our best episode to date.
0: Well, it's a great honor to be here and to be uh, part of this first inaugural episode. I. I Wish the best of success for this, and I look forward to the conversation. Excellent.
1: David, you've been teaching Catholic theology for seven years, uh, but you've enjoyed a remarkable journey. You've been a Buddhist monk. You've been a a beekeeper or epiculturalist. (laughs) And please tell us about your journey kind of briefly for now, uh, keeping in mind our plan to come back in a few weeks and talk more about your life and Buddhism.
0: Okay, deal? Certainly. Yeah. I um, was born a, Catholic. Uh, my parents, however, were really not that pious. And I don't remember ever the Bible being opened in our class uh, at our, sorry, at our home. Um, so nevertheless, we went to church. I was baptized. I received first con- first communion, but never confirmation. I uh, never attended a parochial school. And after making uh, many bad choices in middle school, uh, really out of the fear of being accepted by my peers and um, doing things that really uh, just revealed to me later, as I reflect on in life, that I had no real um, awareness of God and His love for me, I, um, I just was found myself in a after many, many bad choices and ongoing bad choices in just a state of personal suffering. Um, then in high school, I had a rare opportunity to travel to what was then behind the Iron Curtain, uh, to Eastern Europe, um, to what was then East Germany, Poland, um, and even into the USSR. Um, and it was actually in Poland and on our trip through um, that we stopped off at Auschwitz. Um, and at that time, I had... You know, as I said, like I've been in a state of just kind of personal misery and questioning what's the point of life and just thought it was my own uh, personal problem. But at Auschwitz, I realized the extent of evil uh, was way beyond me and pervaded the, the world. Uh, what resulted was me becoming an atheist, as a high school atheist, um, questioning everything. But it really set me on a path of seeking. Uh, why is there suffering? What's true? What is the meaning of life? Where am I going? What do I want? Uh, But I saw no real solution in the kind of a, the dearth of spirituality in my own Catholic upbringing. Um, So I started to first claim that there was no such God. In college, uh, as I continued to kind of seek in psychology and then philosophy, my roommate dropped out and was just, but stayed in the room and just was reading Buddhist books. And so I got introduced to Buddhism. Um, and the first noble truth of Buddhism is that life is suffering. So I just readily took to that. Uh, as But then Buddhism also being very kind of non-theistic, not atheistic, but just not really delving into the question of God and of faith, um, and yet still seeming to provide a, a path of salvation, a path of, uh, recognizing that there is suffering and that there has its cause and that it has a, a path to lead to its end. I decided, didn't want to do anything else, dropped out of college and entered a Zen Buddhist monastery for the next 10 years. Um, so in that monastery, I was frequently visited by a, Catholic uh, monk who was engaged in in Buddhist Christian dialogue, and he would come out of his monastery and, and come to visit. Um, and it was the first time I met uh, a contemplative Catholic. It's the first time I met someone who I would say was of the faith um, and was really practicing the faith. And from that point on, from the blessing which I received with him, and the many little conversations that we would have on a um, personal basis. Um, I opened myself back up to the Catholic tradition started in the Zen Buddhist monastery, just reading, uh, the Bible for the first time. And, uh, when visiting my family on vacations would attend mass and would weep in recognition of the, the sheer beauty and mystery of, of the liturgy. So that set me having met this, this contemplative monk, um, having, um, gone back to mass and seeing what that was like, and reading the Bible, it set me on a path which took a number of years, but eventually led me back into the Catholic Church uh, with a decision to go to graduate school with a to choose as my graduate school to a Dominican seminary. Um, even questioning at the time whether I was to be a priest or not, and at that time in graduate school i I attended rcia and received confirmation and just found uh the fullness of the faith uh, which i was blind to when or blinded to when i was younger so happily rejoined the catholic church and just get get, thrown myself fully into it as, as fully as i can um married uh, during this time while at graduate school uh, by the same Dominican priest who had brought me back um, and ended up married with, what is it now, if I, <laughs> five children, six yes. children? Yes. So that's a little bit of my story. Yeah.
1: And now you're teaching uh, high school kids uh, about religion in a Catholic high school. Uh, You and I are both teachers uh, and I have found that I know I truly understand something when I'm forced to explain it to somebody else so how do you go about uh, teaching young people? I think it's a special age because they might be questioning things anyway and uh, trying new ideas out or protesting against old ideas and um, how do you talk to kids at this very formative time and and what do you teach them?
0: So the question about teaching the youth about God, I think uh, in many ways starts with my own personal experience and my having really not recognized who that was as I myself was young. Um, so I think a lot of what they are going through at this time is just a natural questioning of their faith um, not with and i don't have fear that they're going to lose it but they have to make it their own they've received it from parents from the church itself from teachers perhaps but they haven't yet really decided to make their faith their own and so the questioning the the the, that comes up isn't necessarily a questioning of god himself so much as how is this real for me um and so the way i i try to do that is I just try to meet, I try to teach them about God through meeting them where they are. And relating that a little bit to my own life, but also um, primarily like through integrating prayer into their lives and the reading of scripture into their lives.
1: Okay, well, how does a young person know there's a God Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. first place, Mm -hmm. right? In this um, skeptical time and the skeptical uh, period of a kid's life like why why should a kid believe there's anything in the in the first yeah. place
0: so most of the students who I am teaching have grown up attending Catholic schools their whole life um, and yet we'll find that as i mentioned like they're they're starting to question is it real is it true uh, so it is not just the kind of the skepticism of being surrounded by a non-Catholic and possibly even no longer even in a non-Christian culture. It's just also the, the part of their question of, is is this real? Uh, and they're, as they are in high school, they're becoming more critical thinkers um, and they're wanting to know what is true, what's not true. So how do we actually explain that, that God is true takes um, considerable kind of thinking and work and and-,
1: yeah, and I think you have to start at the beginning right because if you're a teenager you hear that this is an opiate of the masses and that God is a fairy tale and a spaghetti monster in the sky and all of these slogans um, so I think the onus is upon you to say yes there is a creator with a capital C and yes we can take a guess at his character and intentions for
0: it. correct and so I do try to go write for rational proofs of God's existence. So I try to have them at the very start of, uh, of the year, really try to understand how can we know that there is a God apart from faith, which uh, is what we would call in the tradition natural theology. What has God revealed about himself naturally through nature, through the careful observation of nature, and through just the rational thinking of nature. Um, And so I dive right on in with them uh, to look at Aquinas's five ways uh, to demonstrate God's existence. And then I also will look and spend some time with Augustine um, and St. Augustine's real kind of keen Perception of of just the nature of desire. And so we will.
1: Perfect. I think this is a really great place to stop. So, confirm St. Augustine is alive around the year 400, Thomas Aquinas around 1200. Is that right? And Mm -hmm. one in. Augustine lives in North Africa, Aquinas lives in Italy. Right.
0: Yeah, teaches mostly in France, but uh, born and raised in Italy.
1: Okay, and why should a teenager in 2022
0: care about these old guys? Uh, because they themselves want to know what's true, and they they want to actually they want to know who God is. I think that is by just nature every human's desire is to come to know the inter, infinite, and th- this is where I start with Saint Augustine. Um, if we. Very famous quote of Saint Augustine's is, um, "Our hearts are restless, Lord, until they can re- find rest in You." And this is really where I start with the with them is to to talk about the nature of desire and how our hearts are restless; that um, we naturally desire things, we want to um, get away from pain we want things that provide us pleasure. Uh, and I move then more from just their kind of um, more natural animal um, instincts than to just talk about like, we, we naturally want to know, right? We're disturbed when someone tells a secret around us. We just want to know things. we And we want to know the truth. We know how upsetting it is when we've been tricked or fooled or misled. And, so I just I get into that, and it, it some ways, going back to my uh, time in the Zen Buddhist monastery, it's a it's a recognition within that tradition. It's a recognition within all traditions that humans, by nature, want to know, as uh, yeah. Aristotle has said, and and so. And
1: clearly we came from something, right? We can, we can start, like, we know we came from something. Even if this is all a dream, even if you are the only, I'm the only real person and you're part of a computer
0: program manipulating <laughs> me,
1: that too, that too is a thing, right? So,
0: <laughs> Yes, and, and not even necessarily going into the uh, causality of our desire, but I think what St. Augustine is saying is that because the, it, our desires are never satisfied, it's almost like we have an infinite gap in our hearts. Uh, and in, in some of the other traditions that can, such as Buddhism and other things, it can be then quite pessimistic uh, that, and we want to get rid of our desire to a certain extent. But with Augustine, it's it's this recognition that we are nothing finite, no created thing ever satisfies and. So the only thing that can satisfy this infinite desire of the human heart is the infinite Himself. Um, so our hearts are restless until they can find rest in You. So we start there, and we start then looking at what they desire, and we and give this kind of recognition. But for many, that that's not enough, because they want they want scientific proof, or they want to be. They can only accept things that they themselves have experienced. So the next step. Um, When I work with young students, is really to go through and tell them like the God's reality is not an a question of faith. It's not a matter of belief. It's just a matter of thinking clearly, and that uh, rattles them. They don't get it that this is something they think that they have to leave their science class mind at the door when they enter into religion class, and they think that in religion class it's just all belief and. Um, so they can take it or they can not, but it doesn't really affect anything else in their, the rest of their life. Um, Yeah. So we get it. That's perfect. Yeah. So that's what we do. We start with Thomas's uh, ways to prove God's existence.
1: So I, I can concede immediately knowing what we know about the big, big bang that we all came from somewhere that energy exists, that matter exists, that the universe is expanding how do we know that that is a creator with a will, and a, and you know a big heart?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the big heart part is going to be something that we can't necessarily know from thinking alone, but that there is a creator we can know. It. So the big heart is where now we're going to need some divine revelation and faith. Okay, but the yes. the fact that there is a God, uh, Thomas lays out. Uh, these five ways, and the first one he says is by motion, uh, which is is basically change. Um, motion, in the language of Aquinas, refers to just things change. So he starts with a very obvious empirical fact, right? Something that is readily self evident, um, and that is that you know things change. No one can deny it. So we start with the first premise, Mm -hmm. and then he goes through and tries to explain what change is. And now we get more into philosophy. What does it mean that something changes? And he will argue that a thing can't ultimately change itself. A thing can't move itself, but has to be moved by another. And... Uh, again, and so again, we go through and really try to understand the terms which he's using. But um, and then he makes this leap, which is is where it's just uh, it's totally exciting as a teacher to see students start to wrap their minds in, in these kind of uh, abstract ways. And he says, "But this can't go on to infinity." I think if. A thing can't move itself; it has to be moved to another. But this can't go on to infinity, and therefore there can't has be to turtles be, all the way down. There can't be turtles all the way down. Yeah. So, what does that uh, what does that mean? And it's um, a lot of them start to think right away about um, maybe the their family tree, like okay, um, and they'll start to think that I can't have just come here on my own i had to be kind of generated or created by my parents and then by their parents and and i'll have to say yeah okay but this is about like motion right you know this is about movement it's not about what just caused you um and then we start to get into okay so how are you moving your pen right now and They'll say, well, I move my pen because my muscles, my muscles are being moved by nerves, uh, electrical signals and coming from the brain. And, and that's where they kind of just kind of end it. Cause that's what is just prevalent in our materialistic culture. I say, all right, well, what's moving your brain? Um, mm-hmm. uh, and they're like, uh, so, so your will, you have to will to move it, uh, but what's moving your will? And, and, So I start to take them down the path of an infinite reduction of what is moving the other. And I I say, well, you're moving your pen uh, because of your intention to learn this material. And what's driving your intention to learn this material? Uh, Because you have some uh, desire for the truth. What's moving your desire for the... And on and on that goes. And, And so it's actually not... His argument's not about... The Big Bang and some event that occurred long time ago, that is leading to—it's actually in this moment right now. There's a series of movers that are already there, that are present. In your desire to know the truth—that is, is what's actually leading me all the way down to my hand writing on, taking notes on a piece of paper. The writing on the piece of paper is moved by the nerves which is moved by the brain which is moved by and all these things are actually there for me to put a mark on a page um and which is moved by then my will uh, my desire or my for friendship for knowledge for truth uh which are all there already from other kinds of things in my my will but then uh, it but then this can't go infinitely. There has to be something which is pure actuality, pure act, which is itself not moved by something else. And that is who we call God. Okay. And the reason it can't go to infinity is because you can't actually move unless this whole chain of... Uh, ends at some point.
1: Uh, um, okay, so let's say we understand that there's a creator with a little c. How do we get from there to a creator with a with with a personal interest in what we are doing down here?
0: Right, and I think there's a way that you can kind of see that with these five ways, but they're limited. Really, what the, these proofs are by St. Thomas are what he himself will say are just preliminary studies of theology. And, and that's how okay. I treat them with this. It's like in going through these and then the other proofs, we come to know that there has to be a God. It, it, the universe can't yeah. explain its own existence, right? Even the big bang, it doesn't explain why there's something instead of nothing. Right. And so there has to be a creator. And that's all these proofs do. And that's what St. Thomas said, this is, uh, this is preliminary to doing theology. You can come to know that God is. And I think that's a huge thing in and of itself nowadays. For most people in our country, we tend to think that God's existence is the same thing as his essence in, in, um, in the sense of his love his personal care, the mystery of the incarnation. Um, so I think that's where a lot of people will say, how do God does, I don't, they, they'll reject that God exists or they'll think that it's just a matter of faith that you can't know rationally that God is. But that's all Thomas is doing, he's tr- at, at least at the start. It's he's trying to say is uh, God's existence is a, just a matter of thinking clearly about the natural world, but then—well,
1: I think it's so obvious that this world had to come from some things that we don't fully understand. But then to say from there we know that there is a god with these characteristics versus there's a bunch of squabbling gods on top of Mount Olympus who uh-huh. hate us, uh-huh. you know. Well, versus there's just something like some some. Uh, alien kind of watchmaker who's completely oblivious to what's going on any more than I care what's happening in my ant farm or something
0: like that. And in a certain way, these proofs still are very valuable in in regard to that because there can't be multiple causes. There just has to be a first cause. So there can't be... The polytheism is itself absurd. You can't have a lot of gods who are creators. You can only have one god who is the creator god. Um, And likewise...
1: Because they're all inside the system and not outside their system. Correct.
0: Who created Olympus and the right? And they, um, you can't have two creator gods. It just has to be a one. Because if there's two, then who, which created which, and how did the both come out of nothingness or whatever? Mm -hmm. Likewise, uh, in terms of the first argument, like if everything that I do is actually ultimately moved by the primary mover by God, that's also with everybody else. Everyone, like there there is a God who is moving everyone simultaneously um, right now. So the same God that is the first mover that is moving me to speak to you is the same first mover that is moving you to speak back to me and and keep us in dialogue. So then there's this, there's actually a really beautiful uh, way to start entering into just the, the nat- naturally just the mind of God. Um, his fourth way kind of talks about a progression of um, like a hierarchy of being, how um, like rocks exist and they share, and they exist because they share in God's existence, but plants not only exist, they also have life. And then animals not only have what plants and minerals do, but they also have sentience, right? They can, they have sense organs and they take in forms, not just by eating and, and, but they take in forms through their senses by seeing them. And then humans have everything that the animals and the plants and the, and the rocks have, so, but also they have um, freedom and they don't have to just follow their natural instincts and they have as well rationality. And so you you see this gradation, and the idea is that um, everything is sharing more and more in the fullness of existence, and the, which comes from the supreme being who has it, everything in infinite number, and and it starts pointing to what God will be like, although that we can't really say exactly what that is, but God is not going to just have partial freedom he'll have a full kind of freedom of, not just partial knowledge but full knowledge and we just share a part of that likewise if we have personhood if we're persons beings of a rational nature he's going to be a person he's going to have whatever in, in, in this path of progression to an even more infinite degree and likewise love um why did he even have to create at all And why is there something Mm -hmm. instead of nothing? Um, He can't be lacking and wanting entertainment because he's going to be pure act. He's going to be so. This act of creation is just an act uh, without his own need, but just as a gift. And that this is all still just kind of basically thinking without faith. Uh, So then I start. This is where I go back to prayer, scripture, and then also personal testimony. As a religion teacher or as a parent, as a uh, friend or anyone kind of concerned for others, um, we have to start being willing to really share what God has done in our own lives. And I think that um, to know whether God is not just exists but that he loves me and that he loves me so much that he came down uh to be like me and gave his life this is faith um and that that now i have to um that the evidence is for that isn't necessarily in the revelation itself Because if it was, it would be like natural theology. It would be kind of self-evident that that has to be the case. So the evidence, the motive for me to believe that kind of comes outside of the revelation itself. um, Which is to say, Jesus performed miracles. And the reason that he performed miracles was for people to believe in who he really was and to come to believe in God and for them to increase in their faith. So... Um the fact of miracles is one of the reasons for me to believe in the revelation. The fact of um the beauty and harmony of scripture that the unbelie the more you I read the Bible and the more I try to teach the bible i I'm just blown away by this 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 work that is composed by more than a hundred human authors over a thousand year period and it, the unity and the cohesiveness and the nobility and the beauty of it could only be, have been written by the Holy Spirit. It's just, it's, it's unbelievable, the story. Um, and so, so what has led more to believe be, uh, because of kind of external testimony, um, whether it's, you know, one's own experience with miracles, which personally I've encountered, um, but also whether it's, um, you know, from reading of Scripture or, or it's possible that just the the evidence that's in one's own life and it, that's much more so held by the church, the elders of the church, the saints of the church, their stories, um, they help me not just know that God is, is, but they start to instruct me and teach me. The church starts to teach me. What God is like, Scripture starts to teach me what He's like, and I'm motivated to believe in that um, because it's made a huge difference in my life. Um, You know, especially me when I was seeking and and studying philosophy and becoming an atheist, and then when I was in the Zen Buddhism, um, that was all well and fine for what it was, but it was never what it was never able to do for me and get me where I wanted to go as Christ has and my opening up to faith. And so I have to look at and, and So I have to see, and I, I, and my faith increases and deepens as I start to see how God has moved people and, um, moved my elders, uh, moved my colleagues, moved the saints in the past and the stories and, the, and the, their testimonies, and then as well in my own life.
1: That So all external things put your foot in the door. Right. And then you walk through the door, and then you must see for yourself if any of this is true or not. And you could argue all day long, like I know if my you know, my, with my child loves me, but I can't prove it to somebody yeah. else. And somebody else could say like, no, this is an evolutionary adaptation. And I can say, no, I perceive this. And we can argue all day long about prime movers, but you either know it or you don't, it's either true or mm-hmm. it isn't. And it's your heart. That is the, that is the, that is the receiving thing. I'm I, I'm going to ask you in a second, tell me the miracles i have a i have a i have a few that i have perceived but one that was quite recent was when my uh my my youngest daughter who is your goddaughter swallowed a penny mm. she uh was in the e r all night I was driving there in the morning to relieve my wife and i was thinking i was listening to the radio and I was thinking i should turn off the radio I should be praying and i had printed up the old greek uh Our Father, because I was trying to learn it at the time, and I had it in the cover of my Bible, but I had left my Bible in the church, in the church basement, on the table, and it was locked, and I said, oh, if only I hadn't left it in the basement, I'd have it right now, and at that moment, while I was thinking it, a pedestrian was crossing the street, I stepped on the brakes to slow down the car. It turns out I hadn't left the Bible in the church at all. It had been under the seat of my car. It slid out from under the seat. (laughs) The prayer slid out from the thing and landed on top of my foot, on top of the brakes, right? I had slowed down many times that morning. Never did it slide out, you know? And I was like, wow, I thought this, it happened. And here it is, you know, in Greek on my lap, on on the top of my foot. Uh, The next Tuesday... I'm explaining this to my, my friend at church. And he's like, uh-huh, sure. Okay. You know? And he's like, it was a, he, I could read that it was a coincidence for him. He's was like, okay, maybe. Right. And then I've also had that experience where my mother-in-law is explaining to me a, a very sweet moment she's having with a homeless lady and hearing her story and, and and like all this. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. So I've both had the experience where what I'm saying is, is strikingly true like a, a, a shaking revelation, where somebody else who I know is a faithful Christian is like, whatever, maybe. And I've also had that somebody else explain that to me, where I'm like, okay, I guess so. So it, it's such a personal moment, and it's hard to uh, it's hard to convince with my personal experience what other people should believe from it.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. And i mean, even in Jesus' time, right? He he's performing these miracle. He's feeding five thousand. He's calming the seas he is uh healing those who are born blind or are paralytic and it's not going to convince everybody <laughs> it's just there are some <laughs> who will love it is jesus right it's it's yeah. the son of god uh and he's um but that so so there's something which he'll say is like it's it, in a totally different setting not even around a miracle but to peter he, he will say uh i give thanks to God the Father for it is not through uh, human eyes that you see this but it is through faith and, and so to be able to recognize God's providential work in this situation where you step on the brake you know you, you slow down you stop and um, and then this occurs that you see that because you have your eyes of faith are open to seeing his work and of course for the skeptic this is just coincidence um, and you in in these kinds of these are similar to the kinds of miracles that I've had in my life. These aren't miracles that necessarily cannot be explained by the natural laws themselves, but through our own uh, faith, we see God's been intervening in my life. He's been working here.
1: You have any you want to sure. share? Like at the uh,
0: uh, as I was coming to. The last year of my writing my thesis, um, I had one son born. Um, a second son, uh, second child is my wife's pregnant with our second child, and um, I ended up having to work most of the summer and didn't end up uh, finishing the thesis. So I'm at a point where I'm having to decide uh, what we're going to do, and do I take out more loans to enroll for a second, another semester to just finish up my thesis work. And at the same time, our um, landlady uh, says that we have to move out, that she's going to convert the whole house. She's going to move back into the house. So we now are uh, facing, uh, you know, uh, what are we going to do? We have to move out within a month. We've got nowhere to stay. We can't afford living in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, and uh, I don't have a job. And I just live off of student loans. Um, and I've got a growing family and thinking about moving back into my parents' house, all this kind of stuff. And uh, um, so I tell my uh, the director of my thesis um, committee, and she's a nun. Uh, and she says, oh, don't worry about housing. And I'm like, you're a nun. You're taking care of all <laughs> you to tell me, not the you way know, I'm. I'm a husband and a father. I got to provide and all this. And, and she's like, no. Um, here's what you do. This is what Saint Teresa of Avila always did. Which ends up one of the main reasons why our daughter's uh, patron saint named middle name is after Saint Teresa of Avila. But um, the one who is to be born right in this this time. So I uh, continue listening to her. She says, this is what St. Teresa of Avila always did. Whenever she had uh, issues funding uh, the establishment of a, of a new convent for her nuns, it's worked, always worked for me as well. It's just do a, a novena for St. Joseph. And I was like, what? And she's like, and at this point I'm just coming back into the faith. And this is sounding like, is this superstitious? Or like, you know, just do a novena. And I don't even know novenas. I've never even done novenas. I'm, <laughs> And uh, she says, "Yeah, it, just don't worry." And then, so my wife, I tell my wife, and we look up online this real old novena. It's a kind of a middle-aged novena to Saint Joseph, and it's beautiful. And it, and it you know, it describes you know Saint Joseph as you, um, as you hold uh, Jesus in your arms, um, you know, intervene on my behalf. And and so that night, uh, my wife and I uh, start this nine-day novena. The very
1: next—that's what it means—a nine-day
0: yeah. uh, rosary every day when rosary. Yes, right? and uh, with yes. special additional prayers asking for Saint Joseph's intercession. And Saint Joseph is the one who provided for mm-hmm. Jesus, who had to care for the um, feeding him and uh, housing him. So it's perfect, right? It's a perfect yeah. person to ask for for assistance in housing. And so we begin it the next day. My wife gets <laughs> this; is, she gets an email from uh my stepson her her son's best friend who lives down the streets mother's sister's friend (laughs) who heard about our situation and was moving out of her home in uh neighboring town in richmond Uh, and the landlady didn't really want to put it on the market and so she thought maybe uh, of reaching out to us so We open up that email, and by that afternoon, I contact the landlady, and uh, within the nine-day novena, before that is up, uh, we have this this landlady, we have a new house, we've signed a lease. She doesn't need us to even pay a down payment, which we couldn't have, you know, the first deposit, last deposit, which we couldn't have even afforded. Um, it's actually cheaper than the house that we're in, but it's our own house with, instead of having housemates, it's got all this, uh, abundance of space. And it is, um, I go in and start painting and moving in boxes before the nine days are up. Uh, so we, <laughs> yeah, praise, praise God. God. And, the, and then <laughs> as we get to the end of the summer and I'm not even done with the thesis, uh, because now I've spent all my time moving and packing and, um, I don't have a job. And I started nine two in the morning. I wake up in a panic, and I start another nine-day novena on my own. Um, it's in this is in August, and uh, looking for you know what some assistance from Saint Joseph, and th- of course from God. The next morning, I open up my email, and there's a um, email saying that there's a job uh, teaching theology at a Catholic high school, and I apply that day. The next day I have an interview. And then the third day I'm hired and uh, start to go in. And the the next week I have um, my, um, the students arrive and this is all uh, a short bike ride from the new house that we have. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So for me, this is, this is, and again, for the skeptic, this is all just coincidence. But it's
1: all—it's all relational. It's all step by step. It's much more interesting. It's a much more interesting way to live, and it's a much richer adventure Isn't it? than some than some than some uh,
0: f- open and shut piece of evidence. And what a relationship this is! Right, he loves me, and I and I instead of just saying, "Oh, wow, coincidence," and but my life is richer. It's filled with meaning. There is gratitude. Like thank you God yeah. for all that you have done for me, and a, a heart of gratitude is a heart of prayer and it's a heart of joy.
1: Yeah, he doesn't want to snap his fingers and make you a great baseball player. He wants to play catch with you in the yeah. street, your whole yeah. life. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's David. I think we'll stop. Uh, thank you very much. First for the for the background and your story, and for getting us started. Um, this is a, you know, like like every thing of faith. This is a this is a small thing. We're trying an attempt here. And a, a month ago, when I first emailed you, and you said, okay, it was it was Christmas Eve, right? It's, and today is the twenty fourth of January of twenty twenty two. And in the Christmas Eve homily, Pope Francis talked about the smallness of Christ entering the world and his vulnerability, his picoletsa, so mm-hmm. small. And so I hope that. This, will, this project of, of mine will grow, and thank you so much for, for, for getting me started. Well, you're very welcome. David, may I ask you for a blessing for, for, for us and for our listeners?
0: Yes, certainly. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. 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 Heavenly Father, bless us as we have come together in your name. Send the Spirit of Jesus into our hearts. Guide us. In our discussions as we go forth for the good of all. Bless all of our listeners and their families that they may come to know and love you evermore. We ask all this, our Father, through Christ our Lord. Amen.
2: Amen. Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross. Be born.
1: Chris Houdinius and David Basil recorded this conversation on Sunday, January 23rd, 2022. The music, What Child Is This?, is by Josh and Margot from the band The Great Space Coaster. Find their music at www.gscoasterband.com. Our image of the dog bearing the torch in his mouth. The Dominicanis comes from a stained glass window at the Monastery of Santo Domingo de Silos in Spain and is taken with the permission of the Dominican Friars of England, Wales, and Scotland from their website, english.op.org. My name is Chris Odinez. Please email me comments, questions, ideas at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. Talk to you soon.